0: Welcome to On The Edge with Liza Pullman. On The Edge explores the frontier of human potential. What really is possible? Experts in medicine, business, science, and belief systems divulge methods and pathways to productivity, profitability, well-being, freedom, and happiness. Now, here's your host, Liza Pullman.
1: Welcome. Today on the edge, I am sharing the hour with Val Machado. Val Machado is an educational leader, consultant, and lecturer. She is an enthusiast of social ideas proposed by the philosopher, educator, and artist Rudolf Steiner. In the last two decades, Val has dedicated herself to making such ideas and ideals a reality through social development of schools and communities throughout North and South America. In the educational and philanthropic institutions where she has worked, Val has introduced an organizational development model known as Collaborative Spiritual Partnership which is built upon the understanding of the social processes and the stages of development of relationships and partnerships connected to life processes and social laws as presented by Rudolf Steiner. She has worked as a founder, a director, a coach, a manager, and a coordinator to promote collaborative spiritual partnerships with many schools across the Americas using the life processes and the seven stages of partnership with parents, teachers, and school communities, including the Waldorf School in Brooklyn, New York, and the New York City Department of Education, and Fordham University. In addition to school-based work, she is the founder and a member of the advisory board of the Avalon Initiative, an independent think tank for education renewal in the United States. For her long-standing track record of volunteer work as well as professional service in the United States, she was awarded the New York City Award for Educational Leadership Recognition. She excelled as a member of the District 3 Parent Council She is a spokesperson for the Alliance for Quality Education, a member of PENNY, the Progressive Educators Network of New York, and founder of the Rising Generation Scholarship Fund in the United States. Val earned an MBA in finance from IBMEC in Rio de Janeiro and a master's degree in Waldorf School Administration and Community Development from Sunbridge College in New York. She is trained in handwork teaching at Sunbridge, movement therapy at the Spatial Dynamics Institute, and anthroposophical studies in English at Gothaum in Switzerland. Currently, Val is a pedagogic administrator at the Waldorf Rudolf Steiner School in Sao Paulo, Brazil. Whew, that was a long one. Welcome to the show, Val. Thank you. I mean, your resume, my gosh. I I mean, I've carved parts out of it. It's unbelievable.
0: It's just experience, I guess.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So Val and I connected through my business partner, Yolanda Navarro, who was also trained in Steiner methodology. And Rudolf Steiner was, by all accounts, a revolutionary thinker in a time of revolutionary thinking at the turn of the 20th century. And from what I understand, his focus was truly on what it meant to be human. And he's best known today for the Waldorf schools, which are more than 100 years old, span the globe, and embrace the whole child, emphasizing the role of imagination and learning, passion of learning, and integrating the intellectual, practical, and creative development of the individual child. Is that fair?
0: It is very fair. It's a great work that Steiner does. Indeed, it.
1: I mean, I, when people come to me and ask me what I think, because I had a background in education as well, not nearly as long as yours, what school I think they should send their young child to. I always say a Waldorf school. Thank you. So the fundamental difference between what Western civilization perceives as education and a Steiner-based education is the emphasis on the process versus the outcome of learning?
0: That is correct. And Steiner has, uh, he, he often says that The contents that we teach is what is needed at the time. But what makes the difference in Waldorf is the way we teach, the way we bring the children to learn to become independent and free to act in the world with their own thinking and not just reproducing the thinking of others. So that's really important for for the whole Waldorf education in general.
1: You know, this concept of freedom and free will um is as you said is very important to his education and it goes it goes into destiny as well
0: well yes because um when when we teach uh the children and the young adults to think for themselves and have the courage to create in the world then I can call, I can reach my mission more uh easily, I would say, maybe not easily, but more consistent to what I really want to do in opposed to just repeating and copying what is in in the system and staying trapped in the system.
1: What's interesting to me is that I think that uh, many people in this country, maybe more in the past and not so much today in education, but believed that this was a country of people of freedom and free will and people who manifested their destiny. But that doesn't actually seem so true anymore.
0: Well, do you want to see this from the point of view of education uh, exclusively? Because what I think in my work, what I try to do is uh, to create, um, among the adults, of course, because with the children we have a methodology, but when we work in communities that are run by teachers and a lot of schools, what one of the most special features of world of schools is that the educators are the most important people in, in the setting of the adults. And they are the ones who make the decisions alongside with parents and administrators like myself. And uh, what we learn is to uh, work together in such a way that the freedom of everyone is assured while we work towards the benefit of the community. And the children see that and they become um, conscious, but not um, only as they leave the schools, but during the process of being a school that is led by the leadership of teachers, they have an experience that is very unique. And, and I believe that the practice of being free or becoming free, because uh, Steinman says we are in the process of becoming humans, and we, in the process of becoming humans, we need to experience freedom. Otherwise, we will just copy a social setting that is set up for us, and we keep repeating the same things. So how do we do this Is and in my practice is working through processes, and respecting the stages that each person is in the process or in their own relationship with the community or individuals and in this way we can build it up together without um, taking away the freedom of others so that's my contribution let's say uh, to this uh, world of movement and any schools in general because I work with several private schools they're not world of
1: as well Yeah, it's, you know, it's a reminder that what you're really doing in your world is molding the adults. Because by having the adults embrace this methodology fully, fully embody this, these social processes and embody this freedom and free will, then they then go into the classroom and create that environment.
0: Yeah, exactly. The creative process of uh, teachers and parents are very important for the world of school and for the students' development as well. So that's a big part of this partnership model that I keep uh, talking about.
1: Right. I I didn't mention that. Like the parents also have to embody this model. So it's not just ultimately about the child. It's really about reforming, and I hate to use that word, reforming. Maybe it's um, opening the minds of, right, opening the hearts and minds of the adults the parents, whoever, the community, who's ever involved in the school, so that the child ultimately as they're acquiring these skills comes into a broader community that's representative of this model.
0: Well I would say more in, in the in the light of the question of freedom, that is learning the adults, the parents and the teachers and the administrators and the community in general, learn how to build a partnership in opposed to a relationship of um, customers and service providers, moving away from this to become partners, and in this sense, we share this image of child development. We share this uh, understanding of what it is to make a human being uh, able to uh, use their freedom when they leave school, and and bring the resources to make this happen in such a way that the teachers are able to develop their their jobs because they are supported sufficiently. So it's uh, it, it's not a model in itself, but understanding and learning from your own experience how uh, your development, your child's development comes into place, as well as teachers. I don't know if and- that makes sense, but...
1: Well, we're going to share we're going to share these processes with the listeners, and um, you know uh, my understanding is that these processes are actually applicable to everything in our world, from our own personal development to ha- to our work, to how we interact with others, to our community, to our larger society, and really to the world.
0: Yes, absolutely, they. Uh the way I, I bring the, the 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 stages of development and the life uh, social processes are based in the life processes and if we learn to understand the life processes well you can apply them to many different settings of course it takes practice but uh, it is uh, it, that's what I do I bring that and and people ever more uh, develop. Uh, for instance, I, I lived in a situation working with a board of trustees and, and I always, I used to say, and I do this in every school, I go, uh, if the process is good, the outcome is good, so don't worry so much about the outcome. What is the question? Have it clear and work it with the group in order to find the answer to the question. And you do stage by stage and, and the answer usually is bigger than the one you imagine. And so I used to say, if the process is good, the result is also good. And uh, this board of trustees, he worked for five years with me as a board member. And in uh, he went to this very difficult task, uh, trying to change a, a banking system in the country. And I asked him two, three years ago, so how is it going? He said, you know what? If the process is good, the result is good. So I'm focused on the process, and the result is amazing. So he just picked up what he was used to and applied in a completely different setting, and and he had a great uh, result. So, yes, it is. Um, the life processes are the basis of all of that.
1: And, you know, we live in, you know, I live. I shouldn't say we because you're in Brazil. Um, I live in a culture in the United States which is so outcome-driven, and I, you know, what I'm hearing is the importance of focusing on process over outcome. Is that by focusing on outcome, you actually limit the possibilities of what is truly available to you? You know, as your as uh, your board member said, the result was amazing when he stepped out of focusing on the outcome and stepped into the process and it's not to say that you don't begin with an idea of where you want to end up it's just saying that you don't want the ending to define your process
0: exactly Uh, so we all have goals and we establish goals so uh, you have a business you have a relationship you have uh, uh, children of your own and what have you We always have goals, but having a goal does not uh, determine the strategies I have to use. And where in in social settings we see see a lot of difficulties and and, uh, conflict are when you get stuck in the strategy. Because the strategy should really be a process and not a fixed uh, model, let's say like this. So if you have a goal, it doesn't mean that it will become what you want because you might in a group, let's say a group of teachers, you might come with a great idea and if the group takes up your idea and develops it, it becomes much bigger, much fuller and more meaningful to the entire group when they work with this together. And... If you have just the result exactly as you wanted, you're going to impose in everybody, take away their freedom to act, and the result you have is um, is is not as much as it could have been, and you might lose collaborators, teachers, parents, because you're imposing, and who wants to be unfree? I'll stay in an unfree relationship for a while, but it doesn't last long. And that's how we lose a lot of good uh, relationship, good partners, good teachers, good good colleagues in our work setting. So the process is the answer to a goal, if you have a goal, as long as it's not fixed.
1: And I know that I know that in this country that we are seeing enormous disengagement in corporations. There are studies around that, huge, huge numbers, you know, 60% disengagement. I know in the education systems, the traditional education systems, there's huge loss of teachers in these systems because of the requirement to attach to some goal and a loss of freedom in the process and a lack of sense of partnership in the overall outcome of what may arise. So these processes are unbelievably important. So before we get into the processes, I just want to ask you one more question. What is sure. your experience with these processes? How has it transformed how you see the world, how you, how you interact with your world in what you do? It
0: has made a huge difference for me I observed processes since I'm a very Very young child So it's been part of my life And I think it's a life task If I if I can say that uh, But In the professional life And after I had children It became uh, um, more important And now it's, uh, it's something that I live So strongly that I see Processes in everything And in social life um, I believe we are all creators with the universe we are co-creators with other human beings the social life that we have today the crisis in, in, of all kinds including um, in education is a creation of ours and therefore it could be transformed into something better because we will it we want to do it and uh, And in everything you see, you see the processes and you can see they're working well. You can see when they're being corrupted. You can see when they're taking a turn that that is instead of opening the space for creation, it's uh, it's kind of stopping you from being creative. All of this, you can see, you can see nature, all these processes happening. You can see in your own relationships. So I I actually see processes everywhere and I try as much as I can to be conscious of them when it becomes a a social setting in a social situation.
1: Beautiful. So what we're gonna do is take a short break and in our next segment, we will go into the processes. I've been speaking with educational leader Val Machado about understanding the importance of social and life processes because they influence everything in our life and world.
0: You're listening to On
1: the Edge with Liza Pullman on TalkZone.com. Now back to the program. I am speaking with educational leader Val Machado about the seven life processes that will transform your thinking on being human and how we interact with each other in our world. Welcome back, Val. Thank
0: you. It's a pleasure so, to be back.
1: So let's dive in. Let's just go right into the processes.
0: All right. So um, I don't know if you're familiar, but there, from uh, Steiner's point of view. Uh, and also science brings a lot of this Um, there are seven life processes and I'll just give their names and explain to you a little bit and then we can move into the social uh, understandings of it. So the first life process is breathing the second one is warming the third one is digesting the fourth is secreting the fifth is maintaining Six, growing, and the last one, reproducing. And those seven life processes are what sustain our lives in our body, of course. And as a, as a young child, all these life processes are focused on creating our physical body, creating our organs, developing it. Up until seven, this is the main Uh, task of the life processes. After seven, they become, the body is uh, partially developed, the organs are mostly developed, and they start becoming available for learning. And that's why in world of education, we start reading and writing at that age because we use up those life processes and and we don't want to take it too soon for the intellectual activity. That's why we work more with um, their development of their physical body. So our environment is warm to help with the warming process. We have uh, in and out activities, so you can have activities in the classroom. Then we go outdoors, have activity outdoors to help with their breathing and. So on and so We have always food and warm food and, uh, that kind of things that help uh, the child to develop. As we grow into the grade, um, the ages where we study from up until, you know, the high school, beginning of high school, we then use up those life processes ever more until we become grown-ups. And as grown-ups now, they are mainly free. We don't grow anymore. Our reproductive life is uh, is active, but it's limited. We don't have hundreds of children. We have a, a limited number, usually, in ever it's getting smaller. And we use up those uh, processes to conduct our own learning. And that's where the picture of freedom comes, because if they are available for my learning as an adult, if I learn to use them, I will learn not only skills, if I want, cognitive learning, but also artistic learning, artistic development, and social activity. And that's my main focus is that uh, question of the social environment. So uh, breathing as the first life process is the basic one. Everything that we do has breathing in it. We are humans and our first, very first thing we do, our first act on living, is to breathe And when we are born. And our very last uh, act is to breathe out and exhale for the last time when we die. So breathing permeates our lives. We are living and there is breathing. Of course there are uh, disorders in breathing, and socially we have those too. But uh, in a conversation, for instance, uh, when a conversation has a good rhythm of listening, between listening and between uh, speaking, we have a pause and we listen up until a moment where we need to speak and then the other goes into listening. That creates the rhythm of a conversation, the rhythm of a, a life, a meeting, everything is about breathing. And uh, that is a life process that is in everything that we do. And then the second life process of warming um, is also a fascinating one because if we lived off only breathing all the time, we would be expanding and contracting, expanding and contracting, but nothing else would happen because we can't really be present if there is no warmth. We need the warmth to make a house for our individuality to develop. We can't just breathe forever, only. So if you think of uh, warming, um, this, uh, this, uh, you think of, of uh, a warm person. What is a warm person for you?
1: A very approachable person, someone who I want to be with. Someone warm and welcoming.
0: Welcoming. And someone that has interest in you and you have interest on in them. So socially, if there is no warmth in the relationship, you wouldn't want to be with them. You wouldn't want to have interest in knowing more about them. And the relationship would probably not develop as as well without warmth. There is no house for love, for instance, because warmth is the base of everything that we do. It's it's a process, warmth is a process that adapts everything that comes from outside to this house, which is my body. And everything that comes outside needs to be adapted somehow. It's taken in by warmth. So if you think of breathing as the taking in process of taking something from outside into you, then warmth is that activity of adapting your inner life to receive someone else, socially speaking. And and a conversation that goes on without interest, without warmth, it's uh, it's doomed, basically. So many times we use warmth to refer about people all the time, like he's uh, cold, meaning different or... Not interested, uh, distant, or uh, he is uh, hot-headed. <clears throat> Listens to something and responds immediately with uh, excess of warmth, yeah. no heat. Uh, so um, we, we may also say uh, that she's she is kind, and we think of someone kind. Warm and the voice was so soft and sweet, and we start thinking of all this warming quality that uh, someone brings to a conversation. And so, warmth is very important socially as much as for our physical body. But uh, if we just did that, breathe and are interested, and listen and speak and are interested. And nothing else happens. The relationship doesn't develop as well as as the physical body, because everything that comes from outside, from nature, the the substances from nature, an apple, um, pumpkin pie, or what have you, whatever comes from nature needs to be breaking down, broken down, school. broken down, to the point that my my physical body can take it in. I cannot take in anything without transforming it. For it to be uh, life-giving to me, I need to destroy it. But in the, it, it, this is a destroy in a good sense. It's a destroy to find the essence of the substance that is being taken in. I... So this is what we call digestion, and I call breaking process because I prefer this name. Uh, it's the third process, digesting, which is the process of breaking down the substances that come from outside that is warmed by our saliva, by the warmth of the body and so on, and destroying it to a point where I find only the substances that I want. And then I enter the fifth The fourth process, which is secreting, once I break down all the substances, I will take up what is important to me and to my body to maintain, grow, and and, uh, reproduce, and now eliminate everything else that doesn't belong. So uh, we have the sweat, secretions, um, even crying our process of uh, secreting. And um, the importance of this in a relationship is because I can't love anyone if I don't know this person. And I have to take my time over and over to asking questions, knowing more and more and more on the person, having uh, common commonalities, having differences, having fights, having moments of happiness and, and not, and in all of this, we will develop the ability to know the negative and the positive side of a person. And, and, and that breaking down process socially, uh, I, I, find, I, I call a process of bonding to a point where I know who you are which is the fourth process, the secreting. And I choose in there what belongs to you, what doesn't belong. Or I choose to see the highest in you and stick with it, the relationship, I mean. Or I can choose to see the lowest in you and say, hey, we are not to be friends. So if a person is toxic to you, you're not going to keep the relationship the same way uh, if you're allergic to um, gluten, I say, or to something, uh, nuts, you will not take it in anymore. And you can have a relationship with a toxic person and get to a point to say, well, this is actually poisoning to me. We need to separate. Or you might have someone, We all of us have, um, how to say, uh negative sides, right, All well, sides to develop, let's say it like this, better. the uh, Challenges. And I can choose to face the challenges with you. It could be in a group, it could be a relationship, it could be your partner. Uh, it doesn't matter, but I choose to do this because I see the highest in you. And that's the fourth process. And in the fifth process, What uh, we do with the food we take, for instance, and process and digest and make them into substances to take into my body, is that I use those substances to build up my body, to maintain, to keep myself living. And I do this over and over and over. So maintenance is very much like exercising. It's choosing a practice, socially speaking. It's choosing to more and more see the highest on the other if you want to develop the capacity for empathy and love um, mm-hmm. is 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 the basis for it choosing to see ever more the highest in that person and helping with your own actions or with the actions of the other to build up that person so that the relationship grows And and if we do this a lot as we do in our lives uh, the person grows within you, or the organization, or the ideals, or the task, or the idea you had in a project, goes within you, grows within you, in such a way that the outcome is something that you create with the other. So the sixth process is growing, like the child grows, um, and we have to put a lot of efforts in growing until 21s, 24 years old. And after that, you can grow your life, your soul life, or your qualities as an artist or as a mother or as a business person to a point where you can create with another, with a group. And I call that socially the act of co-creating, of becoming more and more able to bring um, back to the universe that which we received, creating the new social life, the new social uh, abilities that we need in a time like ours. So that's the the general description. Is this uh, clear or you have
1: questions? Well, you have one more stage. You have the um, reproduction
0: which is the co-creating, I'm sorry. Uh, So reproduction is, uh, you're right, I didn't uh, explain that completely. Um, So the seventh life process is uh, reproduction, and reproduction is the ability to create something new. In the physical body, we develop the ability to create another human being uh, that comes and has his or her own destiny. And in the life of ideas or in the social life, we create new social forms, even if it's just a deep friendship. Um, or we pick up a project and create something new. Uh, we paint um, our own uh, pictures. Uh, there are so many, uh, this co-creation is something that you pick up most he explains beautifully how he did his uh, creative work, and he's he just tells the life processes from beginning to the end. It's a beautiful text. So it, it's it's this act of creating something new out of your own volition, out of your own creative powers.
1: And I, you know, we obviously spoke about these processes before today and one one way I really like that you differentiated the growth stage from the reproduction stage is that for example, if you're in a business um, you know you the growth stage is where you've really mastered your domain you know people look up to you and see you as someone yeah. who who is a master of whatever they're doing and when you move into the reproduction stage, you actually take that um mastery and you create something new
0: that's right Um, uh, we spoke about this in the context of a relationship between uh, I gave the example I gave as a context between a parent and a school where uh, of course uh, as a parent I come in as new and I don't know exactly what that education is but I have an idea um, many times I come as a consumer as well And through this process of knowing the school Getting involved And becoming uh, very, very involved In the education of the child in the school And understanding the education, uh, educational um, proposition or goals uh, The vision of human being that is behind that uh, as a parent, one chooses to stay in a school and take a role which is uh, the fifth process of practicing being a member of that community with the intention to help develop the community. And as you do this, it, this could be it being a business as well, you become ever more a person that the community recognizes as a representative of that education of that community. And uh, I call them ambassadors because they are beyond the school. They are beyond the classroom. They they take that image, that whole concept, to a different level, like, like the man I spoke about in the beginning who picks up the processes and creates his own. Uh, he was an incredible ambassador in the school, and one would look at him and say, oh, he represents the the notions and the ideals in the school, and it's it, it, the creative, uh, the capacity to develop is very strong. And the rep- in the reproduction, in the co-creating stage, uh, which is equivalent to reproduction, uh, one takes up all of this that it's developed within a school, within a business, within a relationship, and brings it to the world in a new way. And in, in completely new ways, and it's a beautiful uh, side of the, the co-creating process. Uh, when we get to that stage, one is not uh, uh, not buying an education anymore. I am a co-creator of this child, this school, this world, and myself.
1: It's such a powerful methodology, and I have so much to respond to on this, but we need to take a short break. I've been speaking with educational leader Val Machado about understanding Rudolf Steiner's life processes that influence truly everything in our life.
0: You're listening to On the
1: Edge with Liza Pullman on TalkZone.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome back to On the Edge. I am speaking with educational leader Val Machado about the seven stages of human life processes based on Rudolf Steiner's work that are applicable to the evolution of our relationships, our work, our family our community and our society. Val, we've just shared the seven remarkable life processes. And, you know, as we were doing, as you were sharing, I was thinking back on my life. I've had a very diverse career. I've worked in every, you know, government, uh, private sector, nonprofit sector, um, volunteer sector. I've been in every imaginable sector. And, as I was thinking back on what you were saying, I was really thinking about teams I'd been involved with. How powerful this work is to seeing how a team unfolds. My individual relationships, I couldn't help but look at my individual relationships and think, oh where, where did this relationship go? How did it, you know, evolve? Where was it when it broke down? And I'm curious what your experience has been with others. Where have you seen people really grab onto this and make sense of it?
0: Um, I've, I've seen it in, in many settings, but um, I could explore uh, at first in that of uh, relationships, like you are talking about, How did it? where did it go right, where did it go wrong, uh, why things are the way they are. So, and if you just think of, of a relationship where you had challenges or, or disagreements or things like this, and if you look at the whole development of it, from, your, from the way you encounter the person, the way you, you talk and listen and take the time to be interested in what's going on with the other person. Uh, Break down your situation. You're having a situation of conflict, and you not only need to listen and be interested, but you actually have to break down what's going on and take on what belongs to you and let the other person take on what belongs to him or her, like if it's your partner or... uh husband or wife or what have you. And and then choose how you want to develop that relationship and practice. It could be a simple practice, but you have to practice all the time being able to do what the relationship needs. And if that means that you need to change yourself, you can practice, which is the fifth step, right, practicing, uh, changing yourself, taking a role in the relationship. Uh, until you develop that skill, which is the growing process, and become able to renew your relationship. So um, if we had the time, I would go through a conflict where you can do this step-by-step, step. but a few basic questions that you can use to develop the ability to know what belongs to you, what belongs to the other, and respect that to yourself and to the other, is to ask um uh, and you can you can follow nonviolent communication. you can follow any of those uh, self-help uh, programs that uh, break down a conversation or a situation. But if whatever the one you choose, you have to come out of it with what belongs to you, what belongs to the other. So basic questions would be if it would have been if it had been the best it could, how it looked like, how it would have looked like. Uh, so if you're saying, I'm very angry because you left the house without speaking to me, um, but what is exactly that you expected? How it would have been good? And then you can tell the other person, well, I actually expected that you told me you left mm. uh, for a number of reasons. Uh, I feel insecure, or, or what, what, what other things you want to say. But what belongs to me in this case is my need to be informed. If you use Marshall's uh, model, uh, I have a need to be informed. I need to be partake with you. And you had probably the need to be on time, and didn't have, let's say, the time to let me know that you left and if I understand what I need I can be peace of it and let the other one be free to be his need and next time maybe I'll do differently maybe earlier ask what's the plan for the day if that's what you need whatever the exercise you choose but you, you decide what belongs to you what belongs to the other and you take care of yourself and let the other one free Absolutely free to do what he needs to do, and that is very difficult. But once we become able of doing this, we feel free ourselves because we're in charge of what we want to do, how we want to react to things, how I want to love and be loved, and 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 that's uh, unbelievable.
1: Hmm.
0: I don't and not know if that, uh, yeah, the unmet example.
1: And you know, stepping into taking ownership over only yourself and changing who you are really does have an unbelievably powerful effect on the other. Everyone's very yeah, yeah, eager exactly. to point fingers. It's the only one you can really point fingers at is yourself.
0: Yeah. Well, maybe not even point fingers, but accept uh, that what you what's going on with you is yours, and take care of it. No, no, Gilbert Steiner. I I love many of the social approaches of Gilbert Steiner, and he says that um, there are several, seven levels of uh, the will forces, or several seven um, levels which you act. The form of you act, and he describes the the fourth one as when the individuality starts acting, uh, starting from their motive. What is really important to me in the big context and not what I need as the soul, as Marshall stays, much of the needs of the soul, likes and dislikes, uh, things like that. What well, Steiner brings is the motive is saying, my individuality wants something bigger than myself. What is this? What is my ideals? And when I start acting from my motives, when I identify uh, what belongs to me, what belongs to the other, then I can go into exercising uh, how to improve myself and not how to make myself guilt. Um, guilty, I'm sorry. Uh, I don't need he says, there is no need for human guilty. What we need is simply look and say, ah, that's what happened. Break it down, take on the ship, and move on to the next step, which is practicing something. Totally free, in opposed to uh, blaming myself, pointing fingers to myself. Simply, this is mine, and I'm changing it and going to the next uh, step. I think that's phenomenal from his and approach. Is-
1: You know, for any listeners, there's a tremendous amount of literature available online on nonviolent communication. But the concept of freedom, signer's freedom in a relationship, because, you know, a lot of people get to that point where they feel unfree in a relationship. And it's really a beautiful concept to to recognize that that is a perception. You know, it's strictly a perception that you have the power to be free in the context of a relationship.
0: Even the most difficult, uh, tied up, uh, unfree one, that can be transformed, I believe, if you use a good process all the time within yourself, searching what belongs, what doesn't. What is your motive? What's your real connection? How, how are, we con- are you connecting to the universe, for instance? Uh, how do you look into the integration of yourself with the whole? How do you develop gratitude? How do you forgive? Forgiving is forgetting, but not forgetting because I want to hide, but forgetting because I dissolve it into something else. And all of this, you can have those life processes guiding you, and you become ever more free. It's it's unbelievable.
1: Um, yeah, forgiveness is a big part of freedom. Forgiving the yes. self. It's really about yes. forgiving yourself.
0: Yes, yes.
1: Um, I don't know if we covered all your questions related to relationships, but I do want to touch on how this manifests in environments. You know, for example, any leader that steps into an environment or any leader that steps into leadership um, or someone who takes over an environment, you know, because I think this is very powerful in that arena.
0: Oh, it's very important. Uh, As a leader, let's say I just came uh, two years ago to a new school, in Brazil, I lived in the U.S. for 28 years, and I came to Brazil to work in the school. And I really uh, believe to becoming a leader in, 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 in any level, you need, I, at least we uh, as educational leaders or business leaders, we need to first understand and take in what's going on in the business, the first breathing, and developing a deep interest for the history of the place, for the people of the place. How did they come to today? Who do they have to thank? That's the warming process. Who do you thank for the construction of that institution or that business or that uh, project or that team uh, could be? And then really breaking down what's going on, what needs to be done, what belongs to whom on the fourth process of secreting. What belongs to the organization? What belongs to each individual? Which stage each individual is in relationship to the organization? Are they new? Are they old? Are they co-creators? Are they past the stage of co-creators and they need to give uh, back to the new people the ability to create? Where, which stage are these individuals? And then taking on plans and projects and um, which is the practice, right, which is the maintaining process of implementing the projects, always thinking that a decision, and that's the big uh, element of this, is that when you develop a project and you make a decision as a leader, the group has not made the decision with you. And if you make a decision too early or too soon, there will be a gap between your decision and the group's decision to follow you. And the larger the gap, the more distance from leadership you are. The closer the gap, the closer you decide with the group, the strength of the group is more present. So that gap needs to be observed in every single decision until you understand totally the organization. And you can really become one With them And then the the team goes uh, To levels of creativity That is unbelievable Because you become the ambassador of the team If you're the leader And they make you the leader And you're not the one who is Imposing yourself as a As a a Boss You, You know Something like this Does that make sense?
1: It does and I imagine that for many people who step into leadership roles that that is initially a challenge because it involves letting go.
0: Yes. And yes. there's
1: a lot of fear attached to letting go.
0: Yeah, but there is power in process.
1: Mm.
0: And and the power is greater because it belongs to everybody. And the leader is a real leader, is not a boss and I've seen like over and over people come in new and they come with the thinking of the old organization they don't take the time to learn what's living in the group or in the organization and then they start imposing their ideas and sooner or later they start losing the main creative folks Uh, this is happens over and over again leaderships that don't take the time to learn who is there first. What's the history? What's the past? What is to be grateful for? And then they destroy. It's a self. Uh, it's like an immune disease. You know, you end up um, destroying that which you wanted to create.
1: I mean that in and of itself. If we could create a world around power belonging to everyone. This world would be a much different place. Absolutely. So, I mean, sadly, there's so much more I want to talk about. We only have a couple minutes left and I want to know how do organizations, schools, communities, even government get access to this methodology?
0: Well, I can give you, uh, you can post my, my, uh, my email in, uh, in your site okay. that would be a way to contact me. And um, I, I go to schools, I go to different countries and, and bring this in many different ways through workshops and week-long workshops or a uh, series of lectures and even consulting and going into a program where the organization is trying to implement processes and develop uh, their, their partnership models. And I work with them with those archetypes so that they build up according to what they want. And, and I have about 20 years in doing this kind of work.
1: Val, thank you so much for sharing your brilliance with us today. I you know encourage people to reach out to Val, find out more about this work. Thank you for calling in from Brazil on an otherwise busy yes. way.
0: Yes, yes. And I thank you for the opportunity. It's great to share some of your passions with people who want to listen to them.
1: Mm, I'm excited that I could do that. We've just spent the last hour with educational leader Val Machado about the powerful application of collaborative spiritual processes, life processes, and Rudolf Steiner's work to everything we do. To learn more about Val, you can contact her at Val Machado, V-A-L-M-A-C-H-A-D-O 27 at gmail.com. Find her on my page on TalkZone or at www.imaginaconsulting.com. Until next week, shift your world.